respond to our neighbors. And may you do so out of a gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Amen. 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 This past week, about a week ago, I went to the movies for the first time since before COVID. It was marvelous. It was amazing. I got there on time for this one, but there's been movies in the past, and maybe you can relate, where I've shown up late to a movie. Like 10, 20 minutes late, you know, the movie is quiet. Your, your friends have already found their seats, and you love to ask some questions, like, what is going on? Who is this character? But, you know, like, socially, like, it's not really acceptable. You don't really want to get the, like, shh from the people behind you or around you. So you just sit there, 20 minutes late to the movie, just trying to put the pieces together of what is going on. Well, I was trying to think of a movie where this is particularly important to see that first 10, 15, 20 minutes, and I was struggling to come up with one that everybody would kind of know and relate to, so I Googled it. I came across this website called Reddit. You may have heard of it. <laughs> first time ever on Reddit, besides a few years ago when I was trying to figure out like what the conspiracy was behind Tiger Woods not being able to come back to play golf, and when it was a dark hole for days... Second time ever on Reddit, did not disappoint. I, I kind of put that into the, you know, the, the, the search of it, and the movie, some guy brought up the movie Up. So if you are a parent, you may have seen this, or if you're just a cool you know, person in general, you may have seen the movie Up. But the movie, kind of the, the, the premise of it is that these two people, this male and female, Carl and Ellie, and even before they were married, when they were growing up as young kids, it's a Pixar movie, they had this grand dream of moving to this beautiful place in South America and building a house there and living there forever. This place called Paradise Falls. Well, they grow up and eventually Carl marries this woman, Ellie, and they promise each other, they're busy, in the busyness of life, they promise each other that at some point they will travel together to this place called Paradise Falls. After they retire, and they'll build a home there. Well, tragically, and spoiler alert, this movie is like 15 years old, so it's on you if you haven't seen this, but <laughs> spoiler alert, they, they, many years later, Ellie dies, and a lonely Carl refuses to move from their home, despite a whole development kind of being uh, built up around their home. Despite an offer of, you know, astronomical amount from the construction company, he just, in his, like, anger and frustration, says, I will not move. Well, the movie goes on and Carl accidentally hits a worker who damaged his mailbox and he is kind of sentenced to move to a retirement home. And out of frustration, standing his ground, he decides to attach all these incredible amount of balloons to float his house in order to fulfill that dream of moving to Paradise Falls. Adventure ensues incredible story. You get to the end of the movie, there's people crying. It's just this beautiful picture of redemption. But this homeboy on Reddit, he said, first time I saw up, I started watching just after the house started flying. Turns out the 15, or first 15, 20 minutes actually made so much difference. I didn't really connect with any of the characters. Why is this old man so grumpy? Why is this kid so annoying? Who the flip is this other guy in a blimp with this absurd number of dogs? I thought it was a terrible movie and that Pixar had lost their magic. 
Then I watched all of it a second time around and fly and flip, so many tears. I'm so sorry, Pixar. My apologies. (laughs) And I was like, I would like to be friends with you. I don't know how to find you, you know. And don't get me wrong, like, the movie's great either way. You can show up 20 minutes in, like, old dude in a house flying around attached to balloons. Like, I'm here for it no matter what. But apart from those first 15 or 20 minutes, you missed so much. You missed the redemption, the kind of the beginning of the arc of redemption. You missed the relationship. You missed why he's even going on the adventure in the first place. You missed the bulk of the plot. And may you get to the end of it and people start clapping and crying like you're kind of fake clapping, doing your best to like muster up some emotion to fit in. But you missed out if you missed those first 20 minutes. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's like to read Jesus in the New Testament but forget about or never have read the Old Testament. Specifically the parts, the beginning of Jesus, the beginning of Genesis. I thought it was a terrible movie and that Pixar had finally lost their magic. You see, the Bible is full of meaningful names, metaphors for Jesus, from the Good Shepherd to the Bread of Life. Each is packed with theology, meaning, history. Some are more familiar and straightforward than others, like the King of Kings. But others, such as Jesus being the second Adam or the last Adam, are less talked about but incredibly important, and especially to this passage today. We see, talk, we see Paul talk about this over and over again in his letters to the church in Rome and the church in Corinth. And you have to ask the question, this is talked about so much in the New Testament, why would the Bible so often draw a parallel between this man, Adam, who was forever ago in the Garden of Eden, to the one, the one who doomed the world to sin and the one, Jesus, who saved it? We think about Genesis so often as this kind of cool story. We're like, oh, I guess that's how the world was made. Let's kind of move on and get to the New Testament. But we can't skip over this. Because by highlighting what we lost in Adam, understanding the first ten minutes of the movie allows us to truly appreciate and be grateful for what we gain in Jesus. Put another way, by understanding the consequences of Adam's fall in that garden, we more fully comprehend the significance of what was secured for us in Christ's victory over sin and death. Amen? Amen. And in short, Jesus accomplished all and more that Adam lost. Genesis 3.5 says the first Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam was a man who sought to become like God. John 1 tells us that the last Adam was God who became man. We see a slide here coming up on the screen, and there's some kind of parallels between the first Adam and the second Adam being Jesus, and that the first Adam in that garden was tempted in sin. The second Adam, Jesus, was tempted and never sinned. The first Adam, he failed to trust and obey. The second Adam, 100%, 100% trusted, 100% obeyed. The first Adam failed by eating the food off a tree with his bride Eve. The second Adam, he had redemption through obedience on a tree on the cross thousands years later. The first Adam through sin, death entered into the world. The second Adam through obedience, life was offered to those who put their faith in him. 
The first Adam lived in this perfectly, very beautiful garden and because of his sin, cursed and kicked out. The second Adam left paradise to come to a fallen earth and because of his obedience was blessed and not only was welcomed in, ushered in to sit at the right hand of God, but welcomes us in as well. So with this as the backdrop, we understand, we have the opportunity to understand more fully and appreciate what's going on in Luke 4. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And here's a quick summary of some of the parallels. Jesus underwent a test that was similar to Adam's, but it was actually far more difficult. Adam met Satan in paradise, where life, in essence, was easy. Sin had not entered into the world. Jesus met Satan in the desert wilderness after fasting for 40 days, where the environment was hardly friendly. Adam enjoyed the company of his wife, Eve. Jesus was alone with Satan. Adam was well fed from the trees of Eden. Jesus was fasting. In short, Adam failed even though he had everything going for him. And our Savior Jesus succeeded even though, humanly speaking, the odds were a thousand percent stacked against him. And the devil going through his temptations in this passage gives Jesus his best material, throws everything at Jesus. Forty days and forty nights went without food. I go, you know, four hours without food. Somebody's like, here, eat this. Yes, absolutely. Starving man, he looks at Jesus and said, just go ahead and turn this stone to bread. You can do it like that. The devil looks at him and says, you want control? You want authority? You want power, a temptation for so many Men and women, skip all that stuff. God has a plan for you that includes suffering. You know where you're headed, and I'll just give it to you right now. You can have the power without the suffering. And all it takes is just to say you'll worship me. And thirdly, are you really the Son of God? Jared Wilson, a modern theologian, points out some more parallels here. He says, if you remember... The serpent led Eve to believe that the forbidden fruit looked good for food. We see the parallel here with Satan tempting the hungry Jesus to turn the stones to bread. Then Eve saw that the fruit was a delight to look at. This is similar to Satan showing Jesus the dazzling cityscape of all the promised kingdom that were being offered, kingdoms that were being offered to him. And finally, the serpent promised Eve that by taking the fruit. She could become like God. She could know what God knows and would become a kind of God herself. Where Adam and Eve failed, our Jesus succeeded and continued to usher that redemption into the world. So what do we learn here? What do we see? What can we learn for our sake in this passage? First and foremost, we learn that temptation comes even when you are walking with God. Adam and Eve in the garden when the serpent came, when Satan Satan came in the form of a serpent, Adam and Eve have a perfect relationship with God. 
They literally were hanging out, going on walks in the cool of the night, just chilling with God with no you know, interruption because of sin, nothing tainted because of sin. They had a perfect relationship with God. We see in the temptation in Luke 4, Christ is God's own Son. And right before this, in chapter 3, the Spirit descends onto Jesus and God verbally tells him, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus is, it is abundantly clear that Jesus is loved by the Father, walking with the Father, has not sinned, and is in a relationship with God, a healthy relationship with God. And then Jesus is literally led by the Spirit to temptation. I don't get how this works, but I know that temptation, from this passage, we can clearly say, abundantly clear, black and white, abundantly clear, that temptation is not outside of God's plan for you. That even when you have not, you're not, you're not succumbed to sin. It doesn't mean that just because you're, you're just, when you're far from God do you feel temptation. In your healthiest seasons, you will be tempted to sin. Temptation does not mean God has turned His back on you. So you and I would be smart to not be caught off guard by temptation. If Adam and Eve were tempted, if the Son of God was tempted, we will be tempted as well. So what do we learn from here? Temptation comes even when we're walking with God. And second, the Scriptures are our, are our best defense. Both scenes in Genesis and in Luke concern the truth and goodness of the Word of God. See these parallels here. Adam and Eve, when they succumb to temptation from Satan in Genesis 3, they are denying the literal words of God. God has told them, you can, you can, you can eat anywhere you want to, but don't eat from this one tree. And when they do, they're saying, I do not trust the word of God given to me literally from God himself. However, Jesus affirms the sufficiency of God's word and he stands firm. So the same, their lack of belief and trust in God's word, 180 degrees from that is Jesus saying, no, 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 no. As tempting as that is, my response is to, is to respond by clinging hard in trust of the word of God. It sounds so simple, but we cannot skip this over. So when Rachel is, 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 is imploring us or inviting us to memorize Psalm 107, that's not just an exercise that we do to kind of pat ourselves on the back. And there's no, we're not going to like recite it all together uh, up here uh, next Sunday or anything. But that's an invitation for you to have kind of more bullets in your chamber when Satan comes to you with temptations. Because he is coming for you. And the last thing we see, kind of what can we learn from this, answer that question, is it always boils down to trust. Adam and Eve are known by God intimately and personally as His children. He could not have given them more affirmation of who they are, but they doubt, still doubt, God's paternal, His fatherly goodness. However, the flip of that, the, the, the 180 degrees from that, Jesus, on the other hand, affirms his trust in the Father and proves himself to be God's faithful and obedient Son. 
he in essence trusts those words that he received in chapter 3 of God looking at him saying, you are my beloved son. He let that sink in. And then when the devil came with the devil's lies, they did not hold water because he knew who he was in the Lord's love. To sum this up, the garden in the garden, Adam and Eve trusted the serpent and became rebellious to God. And they suffered a symbolic death as a, as a result. However, in the wilderness, Jesus passed the test and refused to believe Satan's lies because he was indeed the Son of God. He had trust in who God was and earned us life in him. So at the end of the day, as you walk through Lent, as I walk through Lent, you're going to have opportunities to see your sin. You're going to have opportunities to confess that sin. Opportunities to be vulnerable but I want you to ask the questions of where do I struggle? Ask the question, where do I struggle with trusting God? When we sin, it's not no matter what the sin is, yes, confess, yes, be vulnerable, yes, receive grace. But no matter what we do when we sin, we're really saying to God, we don't trust you. Adam and Eve, when they ate from that tree, what they were, it wasn't just a, oh, I'm being tempted by the devil, I'm going to believe this lie. The, the, the foundation of that issue, the, 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 what happened before that in their minds was they said, I'm not going to believe and trust that God is true and that He's good. They looked at God, or they looked in the mirror, rather, and said, we know more than God. And brothers and sisters, every time we sin, we're saying the same thing. When God tells us to look, when God tells us to look to the scriptures for life and vitality, but instead we go weeks or months or you know days, weeks, months without opening up our Bible, what we're really saying is, God, you say to read my Bible that that's where I will get truth in life, but I'll figure this out on my own. I don't truly trust you. When we feel like we don't understand why the, God, why the Bible tells us to do or not do certain things, we're really being asked the question, do we trust God and His Word, or are we like Adam and Eve and say, if I don't like God's answers about this tree, I'm going to do what I think is best, even if it's not what He told me. And this is where the work for you and I, the hard work for you and I begins. It's where God reveals our sin to us and we confess it. We then ask the question, I'm inviting you to ask the question, what truth from the Bible am I choosing not to believe that led to me committing this sin again? And I hear you all. I heard people, multiple people this week, my time with them saying, I want God to change me during this season. And I want the same thing. I want us to continue to grow into men and women who look more like Jesus, who are, if we battled the same sins for, you know, weeks or months to say that is that we have victory over that sin. And the good news, the great news, and the reason that you can trust in Jesus and trust the words of Scripture, it's 100% wrapped up in the person and work of our Savior. Jesus is both the model for this in Luke 4, but he's also the means for overcoming temptation. And yes, I want you to see how Jesus fought off temptation, but I also want you and I to understand that because he fought off temptation, 
It was another step in his journey, rather his mission of redeeming his people, including you and I, and restoring our relationship with God. So yes, Luke 4 is, a, is a, you know, a, 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 an example of what, how do we fight sin. We look to the scriptures. We expect temptation. We trust in the Lord. But also don't miss that this is a step in Christ's journey of redeeming you and I. If he had failed in that wilderness, if he had succumbed to temptation, if he had sinned, his, his death on the cross would have meant nothing to you and I. His death on the cross was was meaningful and His resurrection was meaningful because He was 100% sinless. Because He completed His mission. And as the Bible tells us, you and I are united with Christ. We have hope of fighting temptation because of what Jesus earned for us on the cross. And this is the Gospel. When we are faced with temptation... We don't just try harder not to sin. Instead, we set our mind. We shift our mind to Christ and remember what He did for us. And we find the strength to say no to the tempter and say yes to trusting God. Because if we focus, if we remember what He did for us, it's so much easier to trust Him. And unlike Eve, we don't ever run out of as it is written because they're all over the Bible and Jesus has certainly gained the trust for us to say, if you did this for us to cover our sin, then we can trust your words in the Scripture. The first Adam blamed his bride, threw Eve under the bus, a verse many women in this church know very well, Genesis 3.12, but the last Adam instead actually took the blame for his bride. In Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The first Adam listened when the serpent said, take and eat. And Jesus looks at you and I, sinners unworthy of grace and forgiveness, on our own merit, but completely accepted because of Jesus, and looks at us as his followers and says, take and eat. Brothers and sisters, everything that Adam lost has been gained in Christ and offered to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for...